0: The scripture reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 12 through 31. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here.
1: Abraham Lincoln once told of a farmer who was trying to teach his son how to plow a straight furrow. And after the horse had been hitched up to the plow and everything was made ready, he told the boy to put his eye on some object at the other end of the field and plow straight toward it. Do you see that cow lying down over there, he asked? Keep your eye on her and you will plow straight ahead. The farmer went away to do his chores and after a while he came back to check on his son. And when he came back to check on his son, he was surprised not to find a straight line across the field, but to find a line that looked much like a question mark. And he inquired of the boy, what happened? I thought that you were going to keep your eye on the cow. He says, dad, I did exactly what you told me to do. The problem was, is the cow got up and moved. And hence, the swervy lines. I'd imagine that some of us might feel that way in our pursuit of God. We started off in a certain way. We had clear desires. We intended to walk the straight line. <laughs> but as the circumstances of life encroached upon you, as difficulties arose, that instead of walking the straight path, our path with God seems to have many twists and turns in it. And we think to ourselves, it would be so much easier if Jesus was here in the flesh and we could follow him personally in that way. The disciples were worried that Jesus was leaving them and he had told them that they could not follow him. Verse 13, he gives them a promise about what their path will look like going forward. And it's a promise, it's the first of a number of promises in our text for today regarding how Jesus will lead them. He says in verse 13 that whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. It's an interesting promise It's one that at first blush you might find hard to believe because the last time I checked, I don't know anybody that turned water into wine. I don't know anybody that walked on water. I don't know anybody who has raised somebody from the dead. And I don't know somebody who has been able to forgive the sin between a person and God. And so what does it mean when Jesus says you're going to do greater works than me? Well, the meaning of the word greater has a couple different senses to it. The first one is the one that we use most often, it's a superlative. I'm gonna do better works than me or the works that I'm gonna do are surpass the works, in that sense they'd be greater. But the other sense of the word has much more of a continuation element to it. This is a sense that I think Jesus is talking about here Jesus is not saying that you're going to do better works than him, disciples, or Christians. He's not going to say that the works of you are going to surpass his works in their superiority. But what he is saying that the works that he has done in their presence are merely the beginning of the things that God is going to do powerfully and supernaturally And he's going to do it through those who follow him. The followers of Jesus will continue to do these works of God for years and decades to come. These works of God through his followers are contingent upon belief in Jesus, it says. Whoever believes in me, that you can't do the works of God without that key component. And they're done in his name, he says, Whatever you ask of in my name, I will do. Have you ever wondered why you pray in Jesus' name or why you do things in the name of Jesus? What that means is that you are praying or doing with an appeal to him. That's what it means to pray in his name. You're appealing to him as the one who, who empowers your request. And Jesus tells us and tells them to do that. That's really quite amazing when you think about it because Jesus is saying, you're going to do incredible works of God and when you do them with an appeal to me in my name, whose responsibility is it to actually fulfill them? It's his because of his power. And so we pray and ask in Jesus' name, trusting that he is the one that's going to fulfill what the works are that those who are his followers are supposed to do. It's an amazing promise. It's a promise that I think deserves a lot of thought in our personal life day in and day out. And yet for the disciples, the fact that Jesus was leaving them still loomed largely And the fact that he is not here or you might feel like he is difficult to access because you can't see him might create a difficulty for you as well. I mean, Jesus has reassured them that he is going to prepare a place for them in heaven. But the idea of being left alone is a powerful feeling. Nobody wants to be left alone. Alone. I mean, some of you might want to be left alone for a couple of days. <laughs> but nobody wants to be left alone to try to figure out life all by themselves, And nobody wants to be left alone from God to try to figure out the spiritual realities of this life and the movement toward eternity that is going to happen. There's fear that's attached with being left alone. Alone. And the idea of God leaving them alone is profound over them. And so Jesus makes them a promise. He says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. What is an orphan? An orphan is someone, a child, who is born into a family by a mother with a father and through choice or circumstance, they're abandoned. They have a clear start in life. The road ahead of them looks straight, but through a variety of circumstances, their future is now uncertain. And the picture is vivid. Because it doesn't take long for you to start thinking about a vulnerable child being abandoned and the emotions well up within you. The most tender, having an uncertain future, an orphan, a child, all alone, not knowing what to do or where to go or how to even care for themselves. And it doesn't take long as you think about that to think about those who run orphanages and just how inspiring that they are. The fact that they give of themselves completely because there are tender, vulnerable ones out there who don't know what to do, who can't care for themselves, and who need direction and guidance in life. Because what does an orphan need? Care. An orphan needs provision. An orphan needs direction. In short, an orphan needs a mother and a father. Maybe some of you feel like spiritual orphans. You had a clear start. You had a season in your life where you heard the Lord, where you followed the Lord. But now, for whatever reason, you feel like your future doesn't have direction to it in your walk with God. You feel like there's a lack of provision. You feel like you need the guidance of a spiritual father and maybe you don't know if you have one. But you need to know this. Jesus promises that he will not leave us as orphans. He promises that you will not be left alone. And from there, he elaborates on this promise. Because I think there's a lot of of detail in our passage for today and a lot of ways that we could take a turn in this text. We can talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit, which we'll touch on in a minute. We could talk about the fact that he calls the devil, the ruler of the world who's coming, and how that ruler of the world doesn't have any charge or command over Jesus. We could talk about the nature of the peace that he gives to us in verse 27, and how that peace from the Lord is different than the world. But behind all of that, the core dynamic and the flow of what Jesus is saying here has to do with the fact that he is leaving physically, that they are afraid of being left by him, and that he promises that he will not orphan them. And as he makes this promise, he elaborates on it with the idea of love and obedience. And he does so three times. He might have caught it. It seemed like a repetitious theme in the middle of this passage. Let me remind you of it. In verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he goes on to say, and the Father will give you the helper. In verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. In verse 23, Jesus answers, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. If you love me, it is he who loves me, if anyone loves me. Keep my word. There's a dynamic that Jesus is getting to about love and obedience. And here we need to pause for just a moment and we need to make a really important distinction. We need to make this distinction because some of us have heard this passage preached, or perhaps that we grew up in a church dynamic that says love equals obedience, and obedience equals love. But friends, that's not what this says. This is not what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus says, in other words, that love, when you love him, this results in obedience. That love leads to obedience. That obedience is an indication of something that's already there. It's an indication of love. Not obedience equals love. Why is that important to pause and distinguish? It's important to distinguish because if you confuse this, it's gonna lead you to all kinds of confusing and difficult places. And perhaps the most common of those is a type of legalism that is filled with effort in this life, but it's lacking in joy. Some of you maybe grew up in a heavily legalistic environment that was centered around all of the do's and the don'ts of the Bible. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do this. Do this. Do this. Do you ever wonder, did you ever wonder why that even though you were generally following the rules, that it didn't result in joy? For those of you that experienced it, did you ever wonder why, no matter how much you seemed to get it right, to do the things that you were told to do, that for some reason it didn't actually result in you feeling closer to God? In fact, sometimes it produced the opposite. Sometimes it produced a struggle that you might have had with anger and the expectation to conform to a way of life that you didn't completely understand. Or, or perhaps that it resulted in feelings of failure because you could never fully live up to all the do's and the don'ts that you thought you should. Or maybe it th- resulted in guilt because you felt like a hypocrite. I know I'm supposed to do that. I say I'm going to do that. But I just can't always quite get it right. Right. Now, I'm not saying that obedience is something that you don't need to do even when you don't feel like it. <laughs> Let me be very clear. Sometimes we need to obey even when we don't feel like it. But what I am saying is that if you come to the topic of obedience with an approach that views it through the lens of mere moral obligation to spiritual laws, then it will not accomplish its purpose. Because love and obedience are not the same thing. They're not. Obedience without loving Jesus often becomes joyless obligation. Let me say that again because it's really important. Obedience without loving Jesus Often leads to what you might call a joyless obligation. But loving Jesus leads you to desire obedience to Him. You see the difference? Let me elaborate further. Why do you love something or love someone? What is it that causes you to love? How do you move with a relationship with Jesus from distant observance to loving Jesus? Why do you love Jesus? Well, there are two primary reasons. The first one that we see in the Scripture very clearly is that he loved us first. First. We love him because he loved us first. If you were to ask me the reasons why I love my wife, I could list many reasons why I love her and near the top of the list is, well, she loves me. (laughs) There are billions of women in this world who don't love me, but she's the one that does, (laughs) which continues to fuel my love for her. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 19 that we love because he first loved us. And God displays this love to us in the Lord Jesus in all kinds of ways. By even making himself known generally, by revealing himself, he does that because he loves us. When God opens the eyes of a person to the significance of their sin, he does so because he loves them. When God softens our hearts and opens our eyes to spiritual things, he does so because he loves us. When he changes our desires from the things we used to pursue to something better and more pure and godly, he does so because he loves us. When Jesus left the glory of heaven and took on the form of a man in the sinful humanity, he did so because he loves us. When Jesus taught the words of God and did the deeds of God to show us God. He did so because he loves us. And when he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, that we would be restored to God, he did so because he loves us. When he rose again from the dead to show everybody that he has ultimate power over sin, death, and the devil, he does so because he loves us. And when he gives us a way to live, when he gives us a command, when he gives us direction, He does so because he loves us. We love God because he first loved us. We love Jesus because he first loved us. The second reason why we love him is because he is the most lovely. He's the one out of everything that is worthy of the most love. There's no defect in him. He's perfect in every way. John Piper says it concisely when he says that the love for Jesus is entirely deserved. He's infinitely worthy of being loved. He's perfectly lovely. He is loved not in spite of what he is, but because of all that he is. Which means that love for him is a response to beauty and greatness and glory. It is not a response to a need or weakness or defect, which also means that love for Jesus is pleasurable. It's desiring him because he's infinitely desirable. It's admiring him because he's infinitely admirable. It's treasuring him because he's infinitely valuable. It's enjoying him because he is infinitely enjoyable. It's being satisfied with all that he is because he is infinitely satisfying. It's the reflex of the awakened and newborn human soul to all that is true and good and beautiful embodied in Jesus. We love Jesus because he first loved us. And we love Jesus because he is infinitely lovely. And so he says, if you love me, it is he who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will obey my word. When you see Jesus for who he truly is, you actually grow in a desire to obey him. That's why he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. I think for most of us, the struggle that we have about being obedient to God is mixed up in some kind of self-determination that we want to determine our own future. And... The feeling of being constrained from what we want to do. We want freedom. But freedom does not mean absence of constraint. And it does not mean an absence of moral absolutes. I mean, suppose a skydiver jumps out of the airplane, and at 10,000 feet, he says to the rest of the group, I'm not using the parachute this time, I want freedom. The fact is that a skydiver is constrained by a greater law, the law of gravity. But when the skydiver chooses the constraint of the parachute, she is free to enjoy the exhilaration. God's moral laws. Act in a very similar way. They restrain us, but they are absolutely necessary for you and for me to experience the exhilaration of real freedom. And so when we rightly recognize the most beautiful, when we know the one who is the most knowledgeable, when we feel the one who is the most severe, we experience the one who is the most gracious. We want to obey him. (laughs) There's a woman in the Belgian Congo crippled with leprosy and she crawled nearly eight miles on swollen knees, protected only by rough bark cloth, to a mission station to hear the teaching. When she arrived, some of the missionaries remarked at her amazing fortitude, and she replied, of what matter the pain and weariness of the journey? Jesus loved me enough to die in my place. I love him enough and long to be taught by his word. The promise of not being left alone as orphans is met by Jesus in three specific ways promises that he gives related to this idea of love and obedience. That when you love him, you grow in obedience to him. The first one is found in verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in verse 16, and the Father will give the helper. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and the Holy Spirit of God will be given to you to dwell within you for the purpose of helping you. Undoubtedly, the Spirit of God is going to help you do the greater works of Jesus that's talked about in verses 12 through 14. Undoubtedly, the Spirit of God is going to help you to grow in your love for the Savior. There is a supernatural, God-driven leading that happens And it says in verse 26 that the Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. God gives you the Holy Spirit to help you to know what to do and to remember what Jesus said. That the internal, supernatural indwelling of the Spirit is so amazing that God gives his children essentially what's an embedded GPS to navigate life. I mean, many of you need to rely on your GPS just to make your way around town. How much more so through the complexities of life. And God does that by his spirit. And he does so not to lead you just into some sort of vague spirituality. Not just to lead you down the road of some sort of general spiritual encouragement. The Holy Spirit of God brings you back to Jesus and His words. He brings you back to the most valuable one, the most infinite one, the most knowledgeable one. That your love for Him would be fully expressed in obedience again. And because the Spirit dwells within you, that means that you will never be left alone. Just one of the signs that you will not be orphaned by God. D.L. Moody once said, you might as well try to hear without ears or breathe without lungs. as to try to live a Christian life without the spirit of God in your heart. The second promise that Jesus makes here regarding love and obedience and his presence is found in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him And manifest myself to him. What does it mean that Jesus will manifest himself to those who love him? And specifically, what does it mean that as Judas, not Iscariot, asks, how are you going to manifest yourself to us but not to the rest of the world? I don't get it. And so Jesus elaborates. What does it mean to manifest himself? For Jesus to manifest himself means to make himself known. You've heard it said to make something manifest is to make something known. It's to reveal something or in this case someone that might not have been revealed in that way before. To make his presence felt. And so Jesus is saying that as you love him, and that love is displayed in obedience, he loves you too and he reveals more of himself to you. And guess what happens when you experience more of the best thing or the best person? If I take you out to lunch today after church and we find the best restaurant in town and you get the best meal you've ever, ever, ever had, you are not gonna say at the end of the day, thanks so much, enjoyed the time, enjoyed the food, I hope I never have that again. (laughs) You are going to say, what are you doing for lunch tomorrow? I want more of the best thing. That's the way we're wired. And so what happens when you experience more of the person who is the most beautiful, the most gracious, the most loving, and the most powerful you want even more of him and as a result you love him even more and as a result you are even more desirous to be obedient to him than you were before and now guess where you find yourself You find yourself, instead of this downward spiral of sin that we all feel at times, where it's like, I just can't get out of this, you find yourself in the exact opposite dynamic. You you find yourself in this wonderful upward spiral. It becomes the best possible feedback loop that you can be in. I love Jesus, and so I obey him. He loves me, and so he shows me more of himself, which makes me love him even more, and so I obey even more, and then he shows even more of himself to me, And then I love him even more than I did before. It's amazing. And this, my friends, is part of the promise that you will not be spiritually orphaned. And so grow in your love for him. And as you do, follow him more and see how he makes himself manifest to you. The third part of the promise is found in verse 23. Jesus answered him, "If anyone loves me, <laughs> he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus were afraid to go through life without you. Jesus, I don't know how to get to God. (laughs) I don't know where you're going. I don't know how to please him. And Jesus says you're not gonna be orphaned because the Holy Spirit will dwell in you. You're not gonna be orphaned because Jesus will continue to manifest himself to you and you will not be orphaned because the father will love you and the father and the son will make their home with you if you love jesus and so do you love him (laughs) that's the question at the end of the day do you love him because loving jesus leads to obeying him and Him making his home with you. When you love him, you obey him, and he makes his home with you. Residence with God, right here on earth, to see you through your days to eternity. But do you love him? Some of you are saying, Nick, I want to love him. I'm not sure that I do. If you look at my obedience or lack thereof, maybe I don't. Some of us are saying, I, I I kind of love him if I if you can kind of love somebody, but I'm not sure how to grow in my love for him. How do you grow in your love for somebody? How how do you grow in your love for Somebody you know in your life physically right now. Well, I think there's a number of ways, but the obvious ones are you choose to, right? Love at its core is a choice. And at its very core, you make this choice through your expression of faith in Jesus to forgive you of your sins. If you haven't done that yet, you can't love God. (laughs) Sorry. That's the first choice. But the good news is that the choice is available to you and the Lord's calling you to make it. How else do you grow in your love for somebody? Well, you get to know him, right? It's kind of hard to love somebody you don't know. And so you read his word and you make yourself available to the things of him and you try this thing called faithfulness to him. You start to walk down the path a little bit. God, I'm going to express my love to you. Lord Jesus, I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to do it. And I'm going to try to obey. The third is that you learn of his excellencies by hearing them proclaimed. This is the disconnect for a lot of us. We make the choice. We try to get to know him. But we do not ponder his excellencies. The fact that he truly is the most valuable, the fact that he truly is the most desirable, the, true, true, the fact that he truly is infinitely worthy, how Jesus is the most gracious, the most lovely, the most fulfilling, the most enjoyable, the most admirable. You ponder his excellencies by hearing them proclaimed and then you spend time thinking on his grandeur. When you're in love with your spouse, when you were dating them, you would spend time, you make a choice, I want to go out with her. (laughs) I want to get to know her. I want to think about all the things that I really like about her. The things that make me say I might want to spend my life with her. And then I just sit there and I ponder those things for a long time, don't I? When I lay down at night, And the day is flashing through my mind. Loving the Lord Jesus is similar in this regard. But you spend your whole Christian life trying to grow in love with him. And that's a good thing. We grow in this together as we think on him and ponder him and try to follow him. And as we do, we grow in love. Loving Jesus leads to you obeying him and him making his residency with you. Loving Jesus leads to you obeying him and him making his home with you. And when we do that, he gives us peace.